This morning, um, I want you to uh, just, just say a couple things before we start. I want to thank you guys uh, as a community, as a church. You guys are uh, some of the most loving people I know. Um, you guys know uh, a week and a half ago my grandmother died and the phone calls, the cards, the love I received uh, from this community. Um, most of you are aware Leanne has had some surgery here in the past with her back. Uh, I cannot tell you the number of meals we had uh, brought to us uh, again and again and again. And it's, it's because of the family that we're a part of, the family that uh, we get to worship with, that we get to celebrate with. And so I know several of you had a part in that, and I want to thank you and let you know I appreciate uh, how you take care of myself, take care of our family, and take care of one another. So I don't always get an opportunity to say that from up here, um, but I want you guys to know that uh, your love is well received, and we are always encouraged uh, when we are part of this community. So I want to thank you for that. Um, th this morning, we're going to dive into a little bit of a different, uh, I guess, message. I'm going to speak from our context, okay? Um, we're going to be using quite a bit of text. And uh, if you want to put a, a page in your Bibles, uh, look towards the end of Job and look towards Matthew chapter 5. And you can flip back and forth between those if you want. Um, but um, we'll kind of dive into it from that perspective. But we're going to start with a little bit um, just looking at our context and, and kind of how that is. Um, but let, let's start with a prayer this morning and then we'll, we'll dive in. Father, we thank you uh, so much for community, for the love that we experience by being part of family, by being uh, part of the kingdom, by experiencing church life. Um, Lord, as we see it's modeled in Christ, as we see uh, through his teachings and his way, uh, as he goes about loving on humanity, uh, um, and, and his, um, his way about doing that is the way that we need to model, Father. And so uh, as we dive into your text this morning, I, I pray that that can be brought clearly to light as we look at those things uh, that you've given us. In Christ's name, amen. Um, I, I want to start in Matthew chapter 5, and uh, we're going to be in the Sermon of the Mount, so we'll start with verse 1, but um, understand that we're going to be in Matthew 5 because Matthew 5 is going to bring us a question. Okay, Actually, it's going to bring us a dilemma. Okay, um, but and we'll we'll spring out of that and look at some other texts that I think inform that question, inform that dilemma. Um, but we need to we need to process there first. So Matthew chapter five, verse one. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And that's about as far as I can make it in that particular sermon. Um, I don't know if you guys are like me, but sometimes when I approach the text, uh, I find a place in the text where I just stop and I can't move on. Because in, in our world, in our life, we have several teachers. One of them is the text. Okay. One of them is life. One of them is creation. You know, when you go out into the, into the, the mountains, you, you see God's power. You see his divinity. When you explore creation, you see his majesty. When you explore the text, you, you hear some of the revelation about who he is. We're also human. We're still incarnate, okay? 
And so life teaches us as well. And that's what Proverbs is about. Life lessons. Some learned well, some not learned well. We learn from our church as we come together in community where two or more are gathered. And we learn from the Spirit of God as He um, is embedded within us. But sometimes those teachers do not align well. And it seems like there's a conflict. And when I run into that conflict, I have to sit for a moment. I have to, I have to struggle with what's going on in my life because something isn't ringing true. It could be what I'm hearing. It could be what I'm reading. It could be what I'm experiencing. But something has caused me to pause. This is one of those texts in our journey. You know, when you get to chapter 3 and it said, Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Well, I have to stop there. And I want to explore a little bit of our current context right now. If you reflect back on the last two years, we've, we've experienced something very different in our culture, in our community. We want to call it COVID or pandemic, and, and that's a part of it, but I, I want to even go further than that. Um, Miss Diane keeps records on everything, okay? Uh, I went into her uh, this last week. I needed three more sheets of toilet paper. She said, you've already had your allotment. Uh, she said, 1,527, that's it, okay? But she keeps records on everything. I'm just picking on her there, but one of the records that she keeps is deaths. And I want to just talk about that for a moment. And I don't know if you realize this, but last year in 2021, our church processed 81 deaths. We got a, a stone out front when you pull up. It's got the Ten Commandments on one side. I think there's ten or a dozen names on the back. We could probably stack another two or three stones out there. 81 deaths. Now, that, that's from our community. That includes parents. That includes brothers and sisters. But that's how many times our community processed death last year. Those are the ones that made it into the announcements. This year, as of a few days ago, we were at 27 deaths. We're on track to process death 100 times this year alone. That's brutal. I'll use my mom as an example. She's lost her husband, her mom, her sister and her brother-in-law this just just in the last 18 months she has been kept so off balance by experiencing grief after grief after grief i cannot dare call her up and say mom blessed are those that mourn for they will be comforted and yet that's what i'm reading in the gospels and some of you know how hollow those words are because we've been inundated with death. And if it hasn't been death, it's been sickness. Some of you have been sick for two weeks, two months, or six months. 
And if it hasn't been death, it's been loss. We got families going through traumatic experiences right now. Loss, not just in death, but as our families begin to splinter. Some of you lost jobs over the last year. Some of you were laid off over the last year and a half. But we have experienced loss after loss after loss. And this is the text that I run into. Blessed are those that mourn. And I have trouble with that. And so I want us to go back and take a look. A lot of times when I experience a text that bothers me, it's okay to lean into the text. It's okay to wrestle with it. Okay? It's okay to put a spotlight on it and say, defend yourself. This sounds audacious. I mean, you know, if, if I were there in that moment and Jesus gets up and said, blessed are those that mourn, I'd be, how dare you? Now, we, we are not the first culture or, or first community to experience a lot of loss. Okay? And we won't be the last. We're not the second. We're not the 20th. The world is littered with trying times. Okay? But this text still bothers me. And so I went back and I looked at a couple commentaries. And, and most of the commentaries will say, okay, blessed means happy, means joyful, means good fortune upon you. All right, so they're pretty common there. Mourn, well, it speaks for itself. Those that are broken, those that are sad, those that are hurting inside deeply, they're in anguish. And then we get to comforted. And this is where I began to look. This is where I had to go and, and dig out a little more because comfort for me <laughs> means uh, blessed are those who mourn because you're going to feel better soon, right? I mean, that's what I read. And I want to call mom up and say, hey, mom, you're going to feel better soon. Nobody wants to hear that in the middle of grief. Nobody wants to hear that in the middle of sorrow. And so I began looking, what does it mean when we say for those uh, that will be comforted? And so I found a text of all the people I know that went through a hard time. I think Job is the man to go to. I mean, can you not relate to him? Talk about Mourning. Everything. Everything is taken. And so I thought I would go to Job. I said, Job, talk to me a little bit here because I don't understand this idea of being comforted when I mourn because I want to feel better. Okay? And so we go to Job uh, chapter 2, verse 7. I'll start there. And this just kind of lays out the story for us a little bit. You guys know what's happened. You know, it's, it's the whole theodrama between Satan and God. And, and there's this, hey, have you noticed? I almost think God's bragging on Job a little bit. Have you noticed my servant Job? I mean, he's top shelf, right? And then Satan comes in. Yeah, but he wouldn't be top shelf if you weren't protecting him, if you weren't blessing him, if you weren't, and all of this. And pretty soon we get to a point in the conversation where God says, okay, I'll put Job in your hand. You just can't kill him, all right? And that's what's happened at that point. Uh, Job 2, uh, verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of pottery, broken pottery, and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife even comes to him and says, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God, curse God and, and have it over with. And he replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Now here's, here's where... That just sets the stage, but I want you to watch something here because normally when we preach Job, we cue in on the, his three friends. 
and they've all got terrible advice. Okay? They've all got terrible advice. But the, the promise is not blessed are those who mourn because you'll get good advice. That's not it. That's not how the beatitude is read. It's blessed, on the, uh, blessed are those who mourn because you will be comforted. Now watch what these tremendous men do. Okay? When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Napathite, and I hope I never have to say those again, but when these three friends heard about the troubles that had come upon him. They set out from their homes and they met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and here it is, comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and they sprinkled dust on their heads and they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights and no one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. You want to know what comfort looks like. It looks like your best friends coming to sit in your anguish and your sorrow with you and not with a trite phrase just to sit and be silent this is the first time we really see the idea of comfort but go to Genesis chapter 24 verse 66 I know you don't don't run through all of these but I'm just going to give you some more examples Okay, so Isaac, his mother passes away. You know where he finds comfort? In the presence of Rebecca. Somebody comes and enters into that anguish, and Rebecca comforts Isaac after the loss of his mom. And then a little later on, um, when Jacob hears about his son Joseph, and he thinks he's been taken, and they bring him the shredded robe, you know the story, right? And he hears about this. Then Jacob tears his clothes, puts on sackcloth, we've seen this before, and he mourns for his son many, many days. And you know what? All his sons and daughters came to comfort him. Ruth's husband's died. Her father-in-law has died. Her brother-in-law has died. She's left her homeland. She is mourning the loss of everything she knows as she tries to stay with her mother-in-law and help her recover. And you know what? Boaz comes. And this is what he says, Ruth 2, verse 13. May I continue, or she says, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord? He said, you have given me comfort and you have spoken kindly to your servant. Um, Ruth 12, uh, sorry, Ruth 2, verse 12. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So I'm starting to get an idea of what comfort is. Ruth finds comfort when she goes under the wings of Yahweh. Ruth finds comfort when Boaz, soon to be her husband, comes and pours out some blessings, some food but he's with her in that moment. 
Here's this foreign lady from another land. Let me come near and draw near to you. First Chronicles, uh, Ezra and Iliad were killed. Okay, and what do we find? Their father Ephraim mourned for them for many days and his relatives come to comfort him. Even Job later on in the book, uh, verse 29, when you read, say, um, verse 21, men listened to me expectantly, waiting in silence for my counsel. After I had spoken, they spoke no more. My words fell gentle on their ears. They waited for me as the showers and drank in my words as the spring rain. When I smiled at them, they scarcely believed it. The light of my face was precious to them. I chose the way for them and set as their chief. I dwelt as a king among his troops. I was like the one who comforts mourners. Job understood that comfort means being in the presence. And I could go on and on and on with those that are in the Old Testament. The book of Psalms is riddled with comfort. Being in the presence of God or being um, in his temple, but finding a way to, to access this comfort. Um, Ecclesiastes 4 verse 1, again I looked and saw the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they had no comforter. Sometimes to find out what comfort is, you find out what it is not. And Ecclesiastes implies that in order for comfort to exist, you must be in the presence of another. This is comfort. And so we could continue to go on, but let's jump to the New Testament. This is how Paul introduces his letter in 2 Corinthians. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the suffering of Christ, or the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. And so in this dense little section, I don't know, uh, five or six times he uses the term comfort. And the idea of comfort here is, as his sufferings overflow and we embrace the sufferings of Christ, so his comfort overflows and we embrace the comforting part of Christ. Not only is God or the Son of Man here to comfort us, but he leaves us here in the form of the church to comfort others. That's our ministry, to provide comfort. So we, we've got all these wonderful examples in the text. Christ is the comforter. In, in uh, Philippians 2 verse 1, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ in any comfort from his love, this is Christ being our comforter. And so we see in the Old Testament throughout, God becomes the comforter. Look at Psalms for that rich language. As they enter into Yahweh's presence, he's comforting us in our distress, especially for the nation of Israel as they get batted around by neighboring nations through battle, through war, through struggle, through famine. Christ is, or sorry, the Father is the comforter. When we get to the New Testament, Christ is now the comforter. He has come to be among us. And then if you go a little further, um, John chapter 14, 16, and this is at the end of Christ's life, okay? Um, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor or comforter or teacher. It's all the same. Uh, do you know the song, um, 
wonderful, merciful Savior. It also has the, the, the counselor, comforter, keeper. And so we sing about this Holy Spirit that is also the comforter and the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him for he lives in you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. So the spirit of God takes on this role as comforter. The son of man takes on the role as the comforter. Even um, uh, the father has this role of being comforting. I mean, when the nation of Israel cries out, what does he do? He hears their groans and he draws near. I will be with you. I mean, his goal is to live among his people. All right? And then we've got this spirit language. And so I want us, I want us to think a little bit about this. Um, We've, we've got uh, God so loving the world that he wants to come and comfort. That's when Christ comes. We know that God comes in the, in, the, uh, in the friction there with the nation of Israel and Egypt. And we've also got this, um, this language where the Spirit of God comes and becomes our comforter. So I want to say some things here for us to think about this just a little bit. Let's go back to that original beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But let's, let's challenge the term comfort now that we know what it is. Blessed are those that mourn so they never have to mourn alone. It doesn't say blessed are those who mourn because one day you'll feel better. That's how you and I view comfort. You know, anything without anxiety or stress. I'm comfortable. That's not what the, the promise is. It's not saying blessed are those who mourn because one day or, or today uh, you won't have to do this. He's saying blessed are those who mourn because they don't have to mourn alone. Uh, blessed are those uh, who mourn because God will be with them in their stress, in their worry, in their anxiety as he enters into that. I'll even go a step further. I would even say that blessed are those who mourn for he will mourn for you. Do you, do you remember the verse, uh, Acts chapter 7, verse uh, 30? I'm sorry, not Acts, not Acts. Uh, uh, Romans uh, 8, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Have you ever been so crushed, so broken, so lamented, you didn't even have the words? It was beyond description. Some of you know what that's like. And that's where the Spirit comes in and says, hey, you don't have to mourn alone. You don't have to do this alone. I'm going to do it with you. I'm going to do it for you. So we don't have to be comforted by ourselves, but He is in our presence. He is with us. He embraces the mourning as we embrace it, and He can actually mourn for us. This is something that we need to look at. What Christ is promising in, in Matthew chapter 5 is not a, hey, one day. It's part of a, hey, one day. You know, one day when I return, this idea of mourning and sadness, it's not going to be that. You're going to be in my presence. You're going to be with me. And so there is part of that. But when I'm sitting there and I look at this Sermon on the Mount, I don't think he's telling his apostles, hey guys, guess what? I got some good news. In a little more than 2,000 plus years, 
I'm going to take care of this sorrow. That's not the message he's sending. He's saying, I'm Christ, I came to give life to the full, and that means here and now, I'm going to help you with your mourning. I'm going to comfort you. I will be in the presence of it. I will be with you. I will not abandon you. I will be present. I will be your comforter. And you don't have to do this alone. You never have to do this alone. Okay, and that's, that's what he's saying. Yes, there is the, hey, then and there. But then he says, even here now, I want to be with you. When Lazarus dies, where do we find Jesus? In the midst of it. When he's hanging on the cross and his mother is crying out because of the loss of her son, one of the last things he does is he says, hey, you comfort her. And he commits his mom into the hands of one of his apostles. And that's what he does. And then he gets ready to leave. He says, hang on just a minute. Before I leave, I'm sending you a comforter. And then now, on this side of things, it's not just the Spirit's role to comfort, but it is also also our role to comfort one another. And we have to lean into that. Now, there's a little bit of a problem there because there's there's two parts to this story. It's It's a dialogue a little bit. Because I want to be comforted. I want to be blessed. I want to know that. But there's a part on on my side that I struggle with. Because I want to hold people at bay. You know, when I'm hurting the most, I don't want to invite people into that wound. You know? That's when the phone calls start to ring. Hey, Bird, I'm praying for you. Is there anything we can do? No, I'm good. I mean, I I can text that so quick. You see me in the hall. Hey, Bert, is there anything we can do for your family? No, we're good. Thanks. I appreciate it. You know, I've got a smile that comes on. You know? We're not good at opening ourselves up to be comforted. We don't know that. It's, it's, it's a struggle. Sometimes I just want to lick my own wounds. I want to struggle through it. You know, that American independence, put my boots on. I can do this. I can do anything. That Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 verse doesn't really apply to me. I don't need his blessing. I don't need his comfort. I can do this. And I want us to think about what that means to Jesus. When I tell him, no thank you, I got this. I'm denying him of his divinity. I'm binding the spirit of God and saying, no, I know you're here to comfort me, but I got this. And I'm listening to Satan over the voice of God. Satan says, you could do this. You don't need anybody's help. You just bottle it up, lick your wounds. You'll make it through this. You've made it through the last two or three. Because we're denying God access to us. He wants to draw near. He wants to comfort. He wants to be present in your loss. And we're really good at kind of just pushing him back out to the margin And he says, I heard you crying. I'm here. Let me serve. Let me be part of that. And this is why our wound, our hurt, uh, it it hurts us so much. When we go through this alone, when when we face uh, death alone, when we face divorce alone, when we face addiction alone, when we face depression alone, when we face sorrow alone, then there is no comforter. He's still there. He's still present. But it's almost as if we've just said, hey, we don't need that part in our life. We also shut out our church body. 
you know. And pretty soon people stop knocking. Oh, Bert's got it. He's good. Joe's got it. He'll be fine. That family's got it. And the next thing you know, there's a train wreck. And that family needs us. But we've isolated ourselves so thoroughly that we can't do this. Um, I want us to think a little bit about just the people in our community. Look around a little bit. I guarantee if you look to your left or your right, you're going to find somebody who's mourning, who's going through grief, who's going through sorrow. And are you taking up the role of being the comforter with them? Now, don't rush over and say, blessed are those who mourn. Okay, that's not what they're aching for. But follow Job's friends. And just at a distance, ache for them and pray for them. And then when you do get into their presence, just sit and be still. And don't give them ten different quick, quick trips on how to get better or move on. Um, I wanna, I'm gonna, I've got one more thing to share. It's kind of a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I think it's core to what we do. When we look at the Beatitudes and we teach those and when we look at them um, as he is the comforter engaging and then we see that not only through the hands of the Father and the Son but also in the Spirit and then there's the church who takes on this role as we love one another. Okay, You see all that richness there? Okay, that, That's kingdom of God. Okay, And when he says this is what the kingdom of God is like, blessed are those who mourn because they never have to mourn again alone. I will be with you. I will be in you. I will support you from the inside, from the outside, from up here. I am with you all the time. Okay? That's kingdom of God stuff. Now think about how quickly our theology changes when we talk about entering the kingdom of God. What if when we baptize, okay? And, and I'm, I'm, you know, we've got our, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, depending on where you're on that. Okay, what if we said, do you know when you come out, when you commit to God, you never have to mourn alone. You're entering into a community where you never have to go it alone. We're going to mourn for you. We're going to mourn with you. When your cries, when your words can't articulate, our cries will build up for you. That's something I think we need to tell the world when they come in to the kingdom of God. This is what kingdom of God means. Blessed are the... And we could go through each one of the blessings that we have. But those are the kind of rich languages we need to express when we bring people into the kingdom of God so that they understand this is not a journey that you do alone. This is something that from the beginning God takes you in. Blessed are those who mourn because... I'm your comforter. And that's a message I can buy in. That's a lesson I can hear. And that's a lesson I think all of us can respond to. So I, I want us to think a little bit. Um, I'm going to pray over us and then, and then um, we'll have another song. Uh, but uh, as we go out, I know we've got elders that will be in the library, okay? Uh, but think about this. This is the ministry of presence. This is being intentionally involved in each other's lives so that we don't have to mourn or weep alone. And I know we've been through a crazy rough year, okay? I feel like we've been a little ravaged. And I feel like a lot of us are sitting there just, man, I feel like I'm doing this on my own. I'm crushed in my spirit. I don't want to be alone. But part of that receptiveness is letting the church know you're hurting or that you're aching. 
So you got to take that Facebook facade, you know that one that's your profile, and you got to put it to the side just long enough to let people in and say, I really could use some help right now. That's, that's part of kingdom. That's part of what we do. That's, I know that's what our shepherds live for. Okay? These guys want to enter into the grief. It's, it's not a joy ride for anybody, but I want to be there. I want to be next to you. I want to pray over you. I want to love on you. I want you to heal. I want to be a part of this Matthew chapter 5 stuff too. So allow me to do what God has created us uniquely to do in the kingdom. But sometimes that means you've got to allow some of that vulnerability to those sufferings that Christ talked about, that Paul talks about, the sufferings to overflow a little bit so that our comfort can overflow back on you. And I know, I know a lot of us in this room are going through some hard times. And I want you to know you're loved, you're not forsaken, you're not abandoned. And his company and his presence will go through this with you. So whether you choose to go, you know, maybe to the, the library or maybe you want to come down here immediately, but maybe you just want to reach out to somebody during this week and say, hey, Bert, I'm one of those guys that's kind of grieving. I got a phone call from a, a guy. Um, it's been a couple weeks. He's not a big talker, <clears throat> but he's going through some hard stuff. And he called me up and said, you just want to do lunch? I go, yeah, let's do lunch. We didn't talk about anything important. He just wanted to get out of the house. He just didn't want to be alone for a while. And, and that's what that moment meant for him. So whatever expression you need to find comfort and community, I want to invite you to, to step out and get a hold of that a little bit. I want to pray over us, and then uh, we'll have our, our final song. Father, um, we, we are a community that has groaned and um, lamented and mourned a lot. And Lord, you don't, you don't say blessed are those that, that mourn because that'll come to an end. You just say blessed are those that mourn because you don't have to mourn alone anymore. And so, Father, I'm, I'm sure of a couple things. One, that you are present. I'm also sure that the world will continue to struggle and that we have not experienced the last of our sorrow. But at least I have a promise that I can hold on to. At least when I look at your definition of comfort, I understand it better. It's not that my feelings will subside, that the anger or the sorrow or the grief will just go away, but that I don't have to do it alone. And I can share this experience with a brother or sister in the Spirit of God that dwells richly within me, Father, but I don't have to go through this life alone and that I've got a hope that somebody is near and somebody that loves me and cares for me. So, Father, I pray that we claim those promises that we see in Matthew chapter 5. But, Father, I also pray that we allow ourselves the vulnerability to expose the woundedness within us. It doesn't have to be anything special, Father. It just has to uh, be enough to say, I hurt and I need the presence of God, the presence of the Spirit, the presence of the prayers of His church and the presence of His church in my life. Let those be our prayers as we move forward. But also, Father, give us the gift of perception to see those around us that mourn and how we can be a comforter to them in their season. And all these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand as we sing.